I'm completely convinced that Bruce Wayne's dream is a complete allusion to Goya's um, The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters. I love it. Welcome back to Entertainment Weekly. I'm Darren Franich. And don't worry, he might be fighting an intergalactic space monster, but they're fighting on Strikers Island, and there are no civilians there. It's EW's Jeff Jensen. Wow. Strikers Island, yes. No, no one will get hurt in our cataclysmic clash. One thing they made very clear in Batman v Superman <laughs> in the, catacly- the cataclysmic clash, a surprisingly hard thing to say, yeah. which is really three different climactic clashes that happen all in a row. No civilians around no. any of them. Try Trust us, audience. No one dies in this fight. <laughs> they they learned their lesson. I I like to imagine that now, like, there's almost sort of an, an early warning signal that goes up in, in in Metropolis and Metropolis is Oakland, which it turns out is Gotham, which is basically like, guys, like Batman's been sighted. Uh, you're gonna want to leave this whole neighborhood. Just, right. Just just get out. And like, guys, like Superman's been sighted. Like, just go into the sewers and don't come out for for five days or so. Um, Jeff. We're going to talk Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I saw it over the weekend. You saw it over the weekend. A few other people saw it over the weekend. I believe it made 400-something million dollars globally, um, plus a pretty hefty chunk of change here in the United States, where it stands as the sixth highest grossing opening weekend ever. Um, Jeff, Batman, Superman, these are characters that we know and love. Um... The movie has uh, ruffled some feathers, I think it's fair to say, with some of its choices. Uh, Batman, in particular, seems to kill an awful lot of people in this movie. Yeah. Although, what I what I sort of like about it is he never really kills them meaningfully. It's just, you know, they're all kind of collateral damage that sort of happens along the way. And well, I, well, I, I, I like how, even in, in that first sort of scene that I, I know a lot of people are, are kind of complaining about, but, you know, there seems to be some follow-through here of, like, listen, like, the guy has a tank, like... He's not. He's not firing tank rounds here. He's 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 gonna just run his tank over people's cars. <laughs> so I, I I I don't know. I would would would. But you they're bad movie? people though. They're bad people. Sure. And 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 most of his body count, if I'm if I'm reading the movie correctly, takes place in dreams. Uh, well, there, there are. There, you're discussing the dream where uh, it's it's his 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 Walking Dead dream. Yes. When he, when he wakes up, uh, the Earth has been apocalypsed. Um, he's wearing a trench coat. I love this is this is one thing I, I I did treasure how this movie brought back the idea that no matter what Batman is doing, no matter what situation, he'll always have a bat mask on, but then everything else will change. So so in, in, this is this is something that that was somewhat lost in the Nolan era. Um, but the idea that the apocalypse has happened, so Batman needs to wear a cool apocalypse trench coat now. He'll, he'll still have his his mask on though. Um, yeah, I, I definitely get the uh, like. Uh, it's it's one of these fine lines uh, of, of of superhero movies where. Is Batman really a killer, or is he just defending himself? As things happen in the middle of a fight, and he's not necessarily intending to kill people, but it just it, it tends to happen. There's a lot of unintentional kills in this movie. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. What did you think of the movie in general? Well, you know, Jeff, uh, when you go to see a uh, four-hour-long superhero movie, which this <laughs> which this almost was, um, you know. Uh, when Man of Steel came out, Man of Steel, which is, I, I, 
I, I can't really say this is a sequel to Man of Steel because it it, it walks back on a lot of, of what struck me as the, as the core concepts of that movie, but certainly this is an expansion from that movie. Uh, fair to say that I didn't like that film too much. We, right. we were rapping about it uh, quite a bit when that film came out. Um, I went into this movie... Uh, with what I thought was a pretty clear head. Uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, unfortunately, only had time for one cocktail before the movie, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But perhaps as a result, uh, for the first half hour or so, I found myself kind of enjoying it. Um, I mean, you know, it's one of these things where I watch a movie like this, and on one hand, I guess you could say that I'm the target demographic because I do love these characters and I've loved them my whole life. On the other hand, you know, I, I understand the critique that, you know, Sometimes I have too much in my head about these characters, and so, you know, I, more and more now when I watch a superhero movie for the first time, I try to just kind of say, you know what, like, leave all the kind of overthinking of how does this tie into, you know, the comic books, and what does this character's interpretation say, but, you know, try to just kind of like enjoy it as a movie, and, you know, for the first 40 minutes, there's a lot of dumb things that happen, but dumb in kind of a fun way. Um, like, you know, I... Uh, I kind of enjoyed the notion that um you know this batman has a has a cool seaside modernist mansion yeah. uh underneath which is frankly one of my favorite bat caves ever yeah I, I thought just the design of this bat cave was very cool looking i appreciated the fact that when when the batmobile entered into it it actually seemed to briefly drain the lake a, a little bit yep. it was a it felt like they were kind of bringing back some of the more fun aspects of the character um, but boy, uh, maybe it was just the fact that, uh, the, the alcohol was leaving my system, <laughs> but, oh, the last hour and a half of this movie was a real slog for me. Um, you, you, you told me before our podcast that there was a, a, a definite moment in the film that you got to where it was just like, oh, like, no, like, like I reject this movie totally. What was that moment? Well, there, there were two moments. One was philosophically, and then one was just this this movie making an argument to me that it was a movie that I should take seriously. Philosophically, we, we've talked a lot about how one of our, well, one of the exciting aspects of this movie that we had been sold was this notion that, you know, hey, are you a gas bag who was ranting about Batman killing all those people at the end of Man of Steel? Guilty, frankly, that, that is me that they're that they talking to. Well, in this movie, we're going to really bring that up. And, you know, I thought the first scene of this film is one of the best things that Zack Snyder's ever done on screen, of, of Batman racing through the kind of ruined Gotham. And just even that, for me, was the best moment for Ben Affleck in this movie because more so than anything he did when he was in the cyborg suit, he just looked like a superhero. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was, you know, something about his outfit, which was sort of, you know, the kind of classic, you know, superhero alter ego outfit of like, you know, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a, I, I'm in a suit vest. And I'm just, I'm running straight into this, the, the fog. I, I liked all of that. Um, the fact that the movie <laughs> creates the Holly Hunter character to essentially just be the strident voice of anti-Supermanism <laughs> and then just blows her and everyone else up. I, I thought that was a pretty cynical way to answer what seemed to me like some pretty provocative questions. Yes. Um, but then, I mean, you know, frankly, at that point, I, I was still on board because as dumb as I thought that was on an intellectual level, I was still just kind of like, you know what? The sight of Superman all by himself looking perfect amidst this horrible ruin of a suicide bomber hitting the Capitol, that's a good image. Like, all I, I can really, I can get on board with awesome imagery and I, I haven't seen that in a superhero movie before but then the moment later in the movie when 
Batman and Superman are not fighting for any real reason. You know, Lex Luthor has, you know, created this whole elaborate thing. It's never, it's never really clear to me why Batman wants to fight Superman, frankly. I, I know the movie wants us to groove onto this idea of what's because, he, you know, he, it's because he thinks Superman might go rogue at some point. But, you know, nothing what Superman has done up to that point makes me believe that argument, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Um but then, after they have their, their ludicrous fight scene, um, and, and, and Batman is preparing to stab Superman with the spear of, of Kryptonite, <laughs> which turns out to be the most important thing in the movie, the fact that Superman then just says his mom's name, and that happens to be Batman's mom's name, and, and that seems to solve everything, yeah. as, as far as their sort of back and forth goes, um... I don't know. I I just thought that was kind of lazy, and maybe too, you know, God, maybe I'm just getting sort of too old for some of this stuff. But just the sight of Martha Kent, like all you know, captured and with witch scrawled across her forehead. You know, I I was watching this at a theater where there was actually a family with 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 a kid in front of me, and I guess I was just kind of like, oh, like that's just depressing and you know if if that's what this movie is doing to convince me that it's mature it's not many miles away from you know when they put green lantern's girlfriend in, in a fridge back in the 90s i don't know that, that's when for me the movie kind of got sour in a way that i wasn't uh, expecting but what did you think of it though jeff yeah from a st- I, I i i'm grooving with a lot of your 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 ride of the film i mean it, it definitely wasn't um awesome um (laughs) up until the point where we get to batman really fighting superman but and and it and it was definitely a lot there was definitely ponderous and there was some really on the nose stuff and there was some of the on the nose stuff was fun yeah by the way i'm i'm down for you know any you know batman kind of staring up at superman and them having a you know angry conversation that's totally and i gotta be honest with you too i don't mind ponderousness too and i'll maybe i'll get to that in in a minute why i don't really mind that but yeah, um, that it all turns on the whole Martha, Martha moment, uh, and uh, which I think I understand what they're kind of going for there. But what do you think they're they're going for? I think what they're going for there is that in this moment in which Batman um, has this huge philosophical and emotional and psychological complaint with Superman and everything represents. In that moment, that they, he, I think he recognizes that they may have more common humanity than he ever assumed. Um, I think that we are presented with a Batman in this movie that keenly aware is aware that he himself is a flawed response to the problem of evil. Um, but his, the, the, and and that I think he sees Superman as, as as similarly that he is a flawed response to the the problem of evil. The difference between them is that he's not holding himself up as a god or allowing himself to be even revered or feared as a god. That Batman Bruce Wayne has enough self loathing um, and enough re- rationality to recognize that he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy that represents a bad solution to the real problem of problem of evil and the problem of evil. And so, yeah, he uh, he he has some issues with Superman kind of presenting himself as kind of better than everyone. But even, I think what I, even, though, but, even though Superman does not do that at any point in this movie. Right. Which right, right. is part of the problem. <laughs> but I think uh, but so I think that what they're getting at in that moment is that um is I think what it's supposed to mean is is that maybe we have I, 
we have a whole lot more in common than uh, than uh, than I'm giving than I'm realizing. But I think that what we're first supposed to think is that. Uh, that that, that 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 yeah like that batman we're, we're also presented with a batman that is strangely susceptible and influenced by dreams and visions and superstitious mystical kind of things so that when uh when when this superman this godlike figure evokes his mother's name i think what we're first supposed to uh, assume that he's like like speaking trying to uh, from beyond the grave or uh, that like, yeah, like Bruce's interpretation of this moment is that, that, that Superman represents some kind of messaging from his mom or dad from beyond the grave to appeal to his humanity to not go through with this. I think that we're supposed to think that first. And then I think that the secondary thoughts that are supposed to fill our mind is no, Superman is 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 just like me. We're a lot of like we're flawed expressions to the problem of evil. I think that's what we're supposed to get at. Had you ever realized before that Batman's mom and Superman's mom had the same name? I never, I never thought that before. I had never noticed it either. And so on one hand, I, I, this is where it gets interesting with a movie like this, which generally speaking totally ignores or or, or seems to be an outright. Uh, conflict with the notion of a Superman and Batman canon. I mean, like, this is not a movie... Like, Marvel Studios, I often find, kind of goes out of its way to honor a lot of different aspects of the comic books. And this movie really didn't, with, with a couple of fascinating exceptions. But again, that's, that, that's fine if, if, if that's kind of what you're doing. But, I don't know. I just had this image in my head that, like, you know... Someone involved in this movie noticed that... And then said, like, guys, like, I got it. Like, this is going to solve all our problems. And I guess to me the problem is, so first of all, let's just say, you know, if you're going to make this movie about how these guys are both mama's boys, but their moms are barely in the movie, that's kind of one problem, I I think, which comes out a lot in this film, that I, I think this is yet another movie that wants to involve female characters but can't really figure out how. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that Superman's mom is really not in this movie very much. And, you know, Diane Lane, who's a, who's a great actress, I think, hasn't really had much to play with. So, you know, all you're kind of left with there is kind of the iconography of Superman's mom. And obviously, Mrs. Wayne is rarely in movies. I, mean, I am glad, though, that they killed her again in this movie, lest we forget that Batman's parents <laughs> have died horribly. Um, I, I don't know. There, there's just something... Because I, I thought the fun of this movie was going to be that we'd finally get some scenes of Batman and Superman together. And not just together punching each other, although that's that's plenty fun. I'm, I'm not sure the staging of that worked out too well, just because I kept on kind of losing track of, like, okay, so how long does the kryptonite fog take away Superman's powers? Yeah. And if he has no powers, then how come Batman can punch him with rock gloves and he still doesn't bleed? But, you know, again, that's sort of nit- nitpicking a, l- a little bit. I don't know. I guess I thought this movie would actually have Batman and Superman talking to each other, and it really only happened twice before they fought, and then they were pals. Right, right. And, and I, I, I don't know, do you think... Was that the intention of the movie, to keep them apart as much as possible? And do you think that was more successful? I don't know. I, I found myself wondering if there could have been scenes of them together. Maybe I, maybe I would feel like there was more of a conflict in this movie because as it was it was a lot of Lex Luthor well got 
God only knows what, what he was up to with right. this movie. <laughs> I'd like to – I'll answer that by kind of like explaining um, a general my, – my general feeling about the movie and then my, my sort of theory about the movie. It's not my Excalibur theory, but it's just my general theory about the movie, which is – that um, that the that the very bad reviews for this film uh, set me up for a horrible experience, and um, and so my expectations were greatly lowered uh, to a point where I thought I was able to enjoy the film. I, I not not enjoy a film. I'm sorry. I didn't hate it. You know, <laughs> I just didn't hate it. Um, I was pulled through for most of it by the power of the image making. I think that Zack Snyder makes really, I mean, there's nothing casual about his filmmaking. Like his images are very deliberately constructed. I ultimately, they just, they ask you to think about them. They stick in your mind and you think about them. You may not like them upon reflection and upon investigation, but but it, but it, they're powerful and they, they pull you through. I think that uh, Ben Affleck's Batman was very good. Um, I think the, the movie's vision of Batman was very good. I think it was it was it could have been developed a whole lot more. But but he was compelling and 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 it was enough to pull me through. And um, I thought that that the, the the ponderousness of it all for me worked to my advantage to my enjoyment because. Here's something that I think that I have in common with Zack Snyder, um, in addition to our love of weightlifting. Um, <laughs> no, I have. I'm just kidding. Which is that, and 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 not everyone is going to. I think that most people are not going to uh, agree with this. Um, but I'm just I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think that he relates to Batman and Superman at all as potential real people. I don't think he cares about. Clark Kent. I don't think he cares about Bruce Wayne. I don't think he cares about the internal psychological, their internal psychological world or their humanity. Um, I don't think that he cares about them as inspiring figures of heroism. I think he is more interested in them symbolically in terms of what they could possibly represent as um, clearly with Superman as a um, uh, an expression of God in a potentially godless world and Batman as an expression of justice in an unjust world. Um, I think he's just, he's just interested in them symbolically on that level. And the thing is, is that as I kind of reflected on this movie, I kind of realized that that's how I relate to these characters too. There are other superhero characters out there that I kind of, I I, I, I love them more for what they what they represent as as humans, as X-Men psycho- and X Men, Spider Man, even like. Um, but with with these characters, I I like them as national symbols. I like them as 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 timeless symbols. Um, this is why I like Captain America so much, I think, because he, I mean, like, and, you know, I, I loved Winter Soldier, but I, I really, like, I'm a sucker for for Captain America plugged into any story because he is, he is symbolic. There's, there's no way around him not being symbolic. Right. No matter what your take on him is, whether it's kind of jingoistic, like Ultimate Captain America was, or, you know, kind of brutally cynical the way Watergate era of Captain America was, anything he does is a symbol for something. Right. So, yeah. So, I think that that's why these Zack Snyder's treatment of of these movies, uh, of these characters in these movies, they, I'm willing to be a little more generous to them than most other people because I think I relate to these characters on that level. I think I see read the reviews and I feel like they're telling me that these are F's. I think 
I feel more C minus, you know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, by the time we get, though, to the Martha moment, I I just didn't really kind of buy that psychological turn in Bruce Wayne. Um, The whole creation of Doomsday at the end to give them all something to fight uh, at the end just didn't really work for me at all. Like visually, um, it, I think it was just muddy and terrible. Yeah, the treatment of uh, the female characters, they fell from, from, from Lois Lane to Martha Kent. Uh, Martha Kent Who are both to, in distress. Both in distress at right. various points and in the e- movie. Even Wonder Woman, they all felt shoehorned in, uh, in, into the film for me. So yeah, it, 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 it was good enough and interesting enough to pull me through up until the point that I really started hating it. Right. And so you really started hating it in, in that kind of final phase, in that kind of doomsday phase. Right. Is that yeah. Kind of Fr- like, yeah. From the Martha moment when, when, when Batman like decides not to kill Superman to through the end with doomsday, I w- I felt like I was in active opposition to the film yeah, so, okay, so instead I, of just grudgingly going along with it. Yeah, no, no. So, so I totally agree. And, and again, like, you know, I'm not sure at any point I was really enjoying it the way that the movie wanted me to enjoy it. And I realize that, yeah. sounds, I realize that, that, that sounds very pointy-headed, but I, I was honestly getting a lot of joy out of how goofy I thought a lot of it was. I mean, like, and well, I, was get, I wouldn't say I was getting... I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I never felt joy. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting enough. But I also thought it was... I thought the I thought it was also poorly paced. I don't think it was the storytelling, the nuts and bolts of it was, was all that no grace. Reason, it was, was a, it was a little dull for a was, lot of it to be there honest was with no you. No reason why anyone was doing anything and I think it really had the problem of on a basic motivational level. It was just very difficult to parse not just why people were doing what they were doing, but why I should care. Like I mean, let's take Lex Luthor for example. Um I kind of like everything you're saying about Zack Snyder's treatment of these characters as symbols. And I think maybe part of the problem is just what he does with these symbols is pretty dull because you have Lex Luthor, who this movie immediately says, like, this is a new kind of Lex Luthor. He's, he's, he's got hair, for one thing. You know, you know, and, and in fairness, there have been times when Luthor had hair. For a second when he was talking about his dad, I actually thought they were going to do the whole Luthor clone thing. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. This, this comes from the same era as Doomsday, strangely enough. But at that point, fat, bald Lex Luthor had died, and they had discovered his Australian son, who was actually just a classic, like, Boys from Brazil thing, where they had put Luthor's <laughs> brain into a, a clone son who, who had lots of... Of hair. Thought they were gonna do that. They didn't do that. But ultimately, this Luther is only doing what he's doing because he's a bad guy. I mean, you know, there's 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 a lot of talk about angels and devils coming from above and things like that. But you know, in the end, it it, it never feels to me like there's any reason for any of that. Well, uh, and, well, and, well, 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 but but I I slightly disagree with that. Okay. But I think this kind of goes to what I was saying, which is that. I think on a symbolic level, he makes sense. On a psychological, emotional level, I just don't think we really connect with him. The symbolic level in which he makes sense is is that he represents a a complaint against God. Um, His whole motivation, his whole attitude is, is that, is that, is that we we are led to believe that this Lex Luthor's entire existence or his whole pathology is owed to an incredibly abusive, traumatic upbringing. Another is, another really fun thing to have. Yeah, right, in a right, movie. right. <laughs> that that has left him just so enraged at the world, and he's either an atheist at best 
or completely convinced that if there is a God, that he is an unfair, unjust God who allows bad things to happen to, to, to good people or who authors bad things against good people so that when he now lives in a world in which God is among us in the form of Superman and moreover, a kind of godlike figure who is killing thousands of people while trashing a city, right? Zod, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and allegedly to help save us. Yeah, Superman ends up representing to him the very God that he hates and is therefore driven to destroy him through his agent of, 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 of destruction, Batman. I think symbolically... Like what, what, what it's attempting to dramatize through metaphor, allegory, symbol, whatever. Like, I got that. That's how Lex Luthor made sense to me. He makes sense to me on that level, but he does not make sense to me on any other level. And, the, and, and, and I'm not saying that's supposed to be satisfying. I'm not saying that to defend him. I'm just saying I think that's the level that the movie is trying to operate. I guess, but see, well, see, to me then, maybe maybe part of the problem is here, I, I would love nothing more than the super-powered Bergman movie you're describing, which is essentially a chamber drama with punches, where you have Superman as God figure who himself doesn't seem to know what being a God means, and you right. have Batman as sort of this this anti not even really antichrist figure, just like, I guess more this 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 horrifically human figure who doesn't like him and Lex Luthor. Maybe part of the problem is this all gets muddled when you also have just stapled into the movie the fact that Lex Luthor has been hunting down other metahumans right. in in what I like to call the spin-off email, which is <laughs> is such yeah. an important email that it's forwarded from Batman to Wonder Woman. This is no part of the movie made me just laugh more than when Batman sends Wonder Woman an email and the email says this isn't a photograph. What is it like? <laughs> this isn't your photograph. It's, it's you. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then well, you see a still from Wonder Woman coming in 2017. Yeah. And, now, and fo followed by other attachments, right. which have see it? other attachments. Oh my See God. Justice League attached. I mean, that, that's just. I mean, you know, that's where I'm just like, you know, on on a basic level of. I'm not sure there is a right way to make a movie like this, which is a roundabout way of saying I'm not sure movies like this should be made. Well, here, but but certainly, certainly, there has to be a better way of doing it than having an email <laughs> full of attachments. Okay, okay. So you, you've just kind of walked up very nicely to my whole theory of this movie, yes. uh, which which is not the Excalibur theory. No, no, no. Um, but, theory number one. But 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 how a movie like this happens? And my my, my initial my, by accident. If, if I can, by accident, right? <laughs> No, I, I would say that like my my bottom line review of this is that this is there this is a, this was a really interesting sequel to Man of Steel that got mugged by a reasonably interesting Batman reboot that further got mugged by some corporate parent wanting it to be the launch of a DC Universe thing and really if you think about it as I found myself reflecting upon this movie and I was thinking like, I'm wondering if what we're seeing in here was, is the, 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 the blueprint of the, the, of the, because I do believe at some point this was going to be a sequel to Man of Steel. Oh yeah, and 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 the man just of, about Superman, right? Just about Superman. Because and, the and presumption was that we'd all fall in love with Henry Cavill's Superman, right? And so, <laughs> let me pitch to you what I think that maybe the sequel to Man of Steel was 
was as originally conceived. It was, let's take seriously the events that happen in Man of Steel, that this sort of Superman arises and he's this wondrous figure worthy of reverence, but also this really dangerous figure, this reckless figure that's worthy of our fear because look what he did in Metropolis. And so the sequel to Man of Steel was going to seriously kind of explore or attempt to seriously explore kind of how the world was going to respond to someone like Man of Steel, like Superman that does the things that he did in Man of Steel. I imagine that um, it would explore those, uh, I think there would be a range of cultural responses, um, but it would e explore that question through two characters in particular. One is what I would call the bad fanboy character, which is basically some guy who um, decides to put on a suit and beat up get bad guys and fight crime. You know, a, a, a vigilante type who basically... Um, the Punisher. The, the, the Punisher, just some sort of generic vigilante uh, a, a character. Maybe maybe even DC Comics is the, the vigilante. Just yeah. wait, 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 wait for a second before you respond. Oh, no, no, sorry, I was, I, I, I was just wondering which, which Superman character right. that could have been. Maybe it's not some character from the DC Comics uh, a, a universe. It's just, it's, it's just the pure vigilante response to Superman, which is here is a guy who's modeling, like taking justice upon himself, and going out there in the world and beating up bad guys, I'm going to do the same thing. You the know? Guardian. The Guardian, yeah. Okay. So, and then there's the other response, which is pretty much typified by the, by the Lex Luthor character in this movie, which is kind of what I kind of sketched before, which is the, the guy who kind of sees Superman as the god that he's always hated, the god that is capricious, the god that is that can't be trusted, um, the, 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 the God that does, allows bad things that happen to good people. And so he finds, he starts conspiring against this God, maybe even using the vigilante character as the means to sort of like uh, uh, attack Superman. I, I suppose that... Sounds in, very Daredevil, actually. <laughs> in this, I suppose that maybe in this hypothetical Man of Steel sequel, um, uh, this this vigilante character is doing things that really concern Superman, and so they have some kind of confrontation at some point, and Superman tells the vigilante to stop. The vigilante gets really bummed that his idol, his hero, is basically making him not feel like a hero, gets really pissed, and is therefore then vulnerable to Lex Luthor's manipulations. And then we get some kind of ending that we kind of get here that involves... Uh, uh, this vigilante trying to like, you know, kill Superman and then uh, maybe Doomsday gets involved, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But, but I the, guarantee dot, 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 Doomsday gets involved was always the right, 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 in this right. movie. So I, I, I see in that movie a really interesting treatment of the, the themes that clearly that, that excite Zack Snyder about Superman, like kind of really exploring him as God in a godless world, right? But somewhere along the way, someone said, you know what would be really interesting is if we reboot Batman in this movie by turning the vigilante character into Batman, okay? So now Batman gets grafted in this movie. And the problem is, is that a lot of Batman's <laughs> problems as a person are completely reflected in the Lex Luthor character. There is this strange equivalency that is made throughout Batman versus Superman in which like Bruce Wayne equals Lex Luthor. Yes, the right? fact that as far as I can tell, the first two hours of plot 
is Batman and Lex Luthor both trying to get kryptonite, and ultimately Batman just goes into Luthor's place and steals it, right? Right, like, and, and, after, and, and boy, the implication boy, is, is that lot. Lex Luthor set him up to do it. Like, he completely is keenly aware of who Bruce Wayne really is, and he's letting him do... I mean, like, like can I just say, the journalist in Citizen Kane asks less questions about Rosebud than Bruce Wayne asks about <laughs> the white Portuguese. There is just... The, that white Portuguese subplot is a huge part of this movie that right. goes nowhere. Right. <laughs> but yes, so okay, so, you, so, so, back, so you're so, saying we, we already have part of the problem is this one character has now kind of split off into two characters. Right, so we have this Man of... Yeah, right. So so um, uh, so we have a Man of Steel sequel that now becomes a bat... that, that serves a, a Trojan horse function of rebooting Batman. But now we have... Yeah, that was another problem with my with the Batman versus Superman uh, movie for me, which was that there was so, so so many duplication of themes between Batman and Lex Luthor in a way that I don't think was additive or or commented upon each other in e- equal way. It was almost felt like they stole screen time away from Lex Luthor to feed the Batman character. And then in addition to all of this, we have this really kind of like dumb way to launch the DC Comics universe through dream sequences and emails. <laughs> And the shoehorning of Wonder Woman into the whole thing, and so that's what, that, that, that's that, that's that's my complaint about this movie, which is it's to the point where I can't even I don't even really see it as a successful movie in any way because it's not a movie. because it, there there is an interesting movie in there there is an interesting movie in there that much much like what I what I loved what I thought was interesting about Man of Steel Man of Steel for me was really interesting I felt like it was walking us up to what the whole point of that movie was, which was was a realistic exploration of Superman in this world. How would the world respond to someone like Superman? And just when they that when when Man of Steel gets to the point where they can start exploring that question, Zod arrives, hijacks the movie and the planet, and then it's just hour and a half of Superman versus Zod. Um, this and the same thing, Zod even re-arrives because now Zod is Doomsday. Right. It's literally just it's like... The it's, it's, it's the same movie. It's the same movie. Right, 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 right. <laughs> this is the same thing where I just kind of feel like this, this movie fails in the, in, in the exact same way, which was there was there's an interesting story here about how, uh, how, how the world responds to Superman that gets hijacked now twice by Batman and then by the ambitions of the DC Comics universe. And, uh, and and I just think that these, you know, it's just like, it makes me wonder if that, that the, the cultural, yeah, a lot of people saw Man of Steel, but a lot of people hated it. And um, it did enough business or DC or Warner Brothers needed to be perceived as a success. So we are gonna make a sequel about it, but look, People just didn't love that movie enough to see like a legit sequel of it, so that we need to do a lot of other stuff in it, like launch Batman, launch the DC Comics universe. And so, yeah, it was just uh, well. And now, so okay, you just, so you said a lot of things there that I want to kind of tackle. Part one is a lot of people have told me personally that they really liked Wonder Woman in the movie, and my problem kind of is like I just don't. She wasn't in the movie, guys. I mean, like right. you know. I find that actress to be super compelling. She was a great part of the uh, three Fast and Furious movies that turned that franchise into 
for me, those movies feel more like comic books than this movie did, to the point that I, I've actually been tooling around on an idea that this movie is basically a failed remake of Fast Five, <laughs> with Batman as The Rock and um, and Vin Diesel as Superman, because there, there was kind of the same sense there of like, we're going to parry, you know, we're going to chase each other, each other down and ultimately we'll just, you know, team up together to kill the bad guy, but, you know... The fact that she only really has three scenes before becoming Wonder Woman, four scenes rather, two of those scenes are her just in a kind of classic superhero movie costumed, uh, you know, dressy setting. You know, this is always my, my favorite part of any Batman movie is when they all get dressed up and they go hang out together at, at, the, same, at, at the same galas. One scene is her reading the reading the spinoff email, and one scene is a Turkish Airlines commercial, and then suddenly yeah. she's Wonder Woman, and I guess... You know, to me, that's where I really just feel like... And those scenes were all, by the way, all, all the key points were in the trailers. And for me, that's when I just think this movie is... It, it's hard for me to even treat it as a movie. And I don't, I don't mean that as dismissive as it sounds. I just honestly think that this is a commercial for another movie, or rather for several other movies. And the, the, the strange thing to me, though, is... I, I don't just mean that in a glib way, because... There's something about the way Zack Snyder has been making movies that I have only come around to recently because you know he, his first movie Dawn of the Dead, which was a remake, is super fun. I I don't know if anybody. It feels to me as if there are people who are in the anti Snyder brigade now, and I don't even think they would say that that movie is bad. It's it's a perfectly pleasant movie. But then you get to 300, and what's interesting about 300, and what's always struck me about it, I, I, I don't like the movie very much, but certainly it has, it has awesome visuals, that no one can say that is, is not true about 300. But the core idea of that movie seems to be, this is not supposed to be realistic. This is the stories that the Spartans would tell each other about this incredible battle. Yes. And so this movie... Is it is literally like propaganda that Spartans would tell themselves to get ramped up for a big battle, and it succeeds at that. But then, on on a mental level, it always strikes me that oh yeah, like I mean, you know, all you need to not like that movie is one bit of knowledge about the world and one <laughs> bit of knowledge, like one bit of knowledge about like what the actual history was and, and what the people involved were. You know, you need to kind of understand that portraying the Persians that way is literally, you know, in keeping with a stereotyping that dates back millennia. And, and so to me, supporting that movie kind of means supporting, you know, dumbness, basically. And and, right. and and beautiful dumbness, by the way, which I support. Or... And... and oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Or mythology. Or, I mean, or mythology, that, yes, that, yes. That, That's what I think that he's after. And I and I think that even kind of like in a... Oh, hi, Siri. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, you know, I won't go into the Excalibur theory yet, but I think not for nothing that this movie opens with a new version of Batman's origin in which Bruce, Martha, and 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 uh, and his father, oh gosh, Thomas, the uh, Thomas Kent are leaving a, a movie theater. Thomas Wayne are are, are leaving a movie theater, and Negan. it's a, and it's a, and, and Negan, right? <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who's in everything, <laughs> which I love. I endorse that. I love it. That, He's great. Like bravo for for, for the cameo. Denny lives. Yeah. Um, but um, so so they're leaving a, a movie theater that is showing a double bill of The Mask of Zorro. Um, and Excalibur. And uh, there's one way to read that. I think there's a number of ways to read these two movie illusions. 
Um, but one of them is, is that um, it, the juxtaposition of these two things, this sort of like pulpy movie serial and one of the original inspirations for Batman has now kind of uh, and, and juxtaposition with a just this grandiose soap opera mythology of a culture um, is Zack Snyder's way of saying that superheroes have become our cultural national mythology. And for better and probably now a lot worse, these movies are an expression of that complete thinking. Like, what if we treated superheroes as our cultural mythology? And you could have great rousing stories of heroism, but you could also have kind of like a little more like darker, like sober kind of meditations, but it's all in this sort of like grand heightened reality mythological world. Um, that yes is completely punctured when you just apply a little which, bit of like which, realness to which, it all, which is totally fine. I, I guess to me the, the one thing that struck me more in this movie than Man of Steel. I mean, Man of Steel talk about mythology. The the, the Christ illusions in that are yeah. on the record, and you know again we we can go back and forth on this. Listen, there have been lame Christ illusions in movies since the dawn of time, and I, I I almost think in a way trying to argue against them is just falling into like you know sometimes Christ illusions just look cool, and I am totally okay with that like sometimes superman just being in space with his arms outstretched is a is a provocative image that you don't really need to unpack too much in this movie what strikes me is the symbols that he is working with are really interesting and you know this idea of what if we have a movie where these symbols start attacking each other right really interesting yes um so, you know, then part of the problem is just that, well... Interesting in theory. It, yes, exactly. Interesting in theory, and and I would argue in practice for the first half of the movie, insofar as, you you know, it is really compelling to really feel like... And I even like how in the first half of the movie, there's just enough done with the world around these characters. Like, the fact that, you know, when you meet Clark Kent, this Clark Kent and this Lois Lane, they're not very much in love... They're journalists. They're living in a sort of realistic, you know, small East Village-looking apartment, co- complete with a with a with a bathtub that right. is is exactly the kind of crappy bathtub you would have in a New York apartment, and you know, that kind of juxtaposed against Bruce Wayne, who is even more, you know, mournful and, and angry and lonely than he usually is. Although the movie makes it very clear he's sleeping with lots of ladies, um, you know, you get to the point where. The movie seems to be saying, let's ask a lot of questions. Then A, it asks no interesting questions. B, it, it sort of throws those questions aside by killing everyone who even dares to ask those questions. Again, like, like the Holly Hunter character is just right. such a total throwaway in that regard. But then you get to the point where you actually think, like, you know, I actually think this movie thinks it's making a lot of interesting points. Right. And, you know... It's doing that in the context of a couple different interesting mythologies. One being The Dark Knight Returns, which, I mean, boy, if, if you want to talk about a modern American myth, turns out The Dark Knight Returns is, you know, that has pushed aside stagecoach as far as being like, <laughs> here is something that you can, you can tease out references to Dark Knight Returns in, in anything. But it's mixing that together with the Doomsday story arc from Superman. And by mixing together, I literally mean it just takes the end of Dark Knight Returns and adds, you know, mashes together with the end of Doomsday, which I I, I love just the sort of baldness of, of that. But then it does all of that, and, you know, the one cool thing about Dark Knight Returns is that these characters really didn't like each other at that point, or, or they were really against each other for a reason. That's not the case in, in this movie. They're, they're purely... 
the the moment of them becoming friends is just one short, you know, heart-to-heart about their moms away from happening. So then you get into the doomsday thing, and even that doesn't really... It just seems to me like if what he wants to do is work with symbols, then he needs to find something more interesting to do with them, I, I guess. And, and maybe, you know, part of the problem is just like, I kind of think maybe deep down the one thing he, he kind of thinks is interesting about these people is that, you know, they are gods. And maybe his, I don't know, maybe then just his, his, his perspective on gods isn't that interesting. I mean, there are, there are Greek myths where gods are more emotionally complicated than right. Batman and Superman Absolutely. here. And that's, that's when, to me, it crosses the line from the, uh, the arena of symbolism to the arena of, you know, even the fact that, like, there's some weird toxicity in this movie where I kind of feel like, you know, it's like, you know, Dark Knight Returns is great and all, but oh, doesn't it suck how Batman is so old? What if instead he's doing a cool workout? So you see, I, I, I don't know. That that's the stuff where it just feels a little adolescent to me. Um, yeah, but, I, yeah. I, like, but but you know, I, I, you're kind of saying, but you know, you aren't disagreeing with that. You're just no. saying that you know what he's going for is symbolism, and and, and maybe it's not quite working right. in that regard. What I what I believe is that is that uh, is that Zack Snyder is is. Thinking a lot of interesting thoughts, but doesn't really have, uh, is, is not really expressing them in, a, in, in the best possible way. I agree with the second part. But wait, I want to hear more about this 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 Excalibur thing. Well, before we get that, let me respond to a couple things that you said, which was, one is, um, I want to just affirm that I too like like Wonder Woman. What I saw of Wonder Woman, um, I, think, I, think the, I think that this is a... An interesting like uh, presentation of her. I think this is. Uh, I think they, they, they cast her well. Um, what's What's interesting about her? Um, I, well, first of all, one of the things that I really uh, love is that they're clearly going to embrace the whole goddess Greek mythology background of the character. I'm I'm I I'm I'm uh, I'm all aboard on that. That it definitely plays to um, some of my favorite characterizations of Wonder Woman in the comics, as as presented by George Perez. Um, so I, I'm on board with that. They're doing like all of her all of her like mythological background. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, in terms of how she's used in this film, um, if you cut her completely out of this movie, the story does not change. She's absolutely inconsequential to the, the the story. But Jeff, she hacks a doomsday's kneecap. <laughs> right. But but that's not what 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 fell I mean like you you could have she's 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 totally shoehorned into the movie. I think that people really are responding to her because one is we're getting a Wonder Woman. We're finally getting Wonder Woman on screen. So this is a victory unto itself. Two is um, she doesn't embarrass herself at the very least. Um, and three is that there is something about her tonally that is completely different from the rest of the film. Um, I like that she smiles in battle. I mean, there's something righteous about this battle and, and she's fighting evil and she loves it, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's As not something to... we get from Superman or Batman who are just so tortured in their battle of evil. So she is something kind of refreshing. I mean, literally the score of the movie radically changes to a, 
a way that I found distracting. I know other people like actually really like it. My son was telling me that this weekend that Wonder Woman's theme was like the most popular thing on iTunes this yeah, weekend or yeah. something like that. That was the part where, because uh, it was Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL did the soundtrack together. And, and Junkie XL, of course, also did the Fury Road soundtrack. I was wondering if like, I mean, again, who knows who did what? That to me really felt like it was an injection of Fury Roadness into the soundtrack. Because wasn't it like an electric guitar or something? Something that like that. And, yeah. and, and drums yes. and, and guitar, yeah. yeah. Before we get into Excalibur, I think we do owe our readers um, a little bit of like, like before I kind of bore them with this like down the wormhole theory that may lead us nowhere. <laughs> um, let's just kind of geek out a little bit though on on the DC Universe building here. I mean, as much as we don't like the way that it was introduced and presented and stapled into the movie, um, your thoughts on... on uh, what you saw in those email attachments and what you thought of Batman's dream in particular, which seemed to, um, on you know, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting of kind of sketching that. So in the movie, Batman has a dream, um, which I kind of saw as the, the movie's sort of an analog to uh, The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters by Goya. Um, but that's, that's, that's yeah, a Jeff, thing. Jeff, what is The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters by Goya? Um, you can look it up on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> but in in Batman's dream, um, he has a dream of an apocalyptic future that I think that in the themes of the movie is sort of like his vision of the end result of a world under Superman in which uh, God, the, the, the godhood of Superman is set loose and the result is a scorched earth, an apocalyptic place um, that is ruled by a Superman police state in which stormtroopers with uh, with with Superman branded armbands kind of rule us all, and he leads in his Batman mask and tr- cool trench coat a sort of rebel army that is trying to find um, a kryptonite that can obviously kind of like defeat the evil uh, a fascist uh, um, uh, Superman godhood once and for all. Um, a fight ensues. And then giant winged demon creatures descend and carry people away. Um, that fight, by the way, I have to point out uh, while we were watching it, uh, the fight is done. It, it's one of those all-in-one take fights. Yes. Which works great when the people doing the fighting are martial artists. Uh-huh. My, my girlfriend uh, leaned over to me and, and just whispered, like, why does this look like Broadway fighting? Because it really... It's so highly choreographed to, put, to, just, to, to, to pull off that shot that it ends up looking phony. It just, it, it just looked so phony and so goofy. And part of the problem there, I think, is, again, I, I just think a lot of the ideas here... Maybe there were too many ideas, or perhaps there were just too few. But when your whole big thing is this Batman is a hulking Batman, it does not do him a good service to do a lot of acrobatic moves without much editing. So, in the context of the movie, if you know nothing about the DC Comics universe, that dream of apocalypse works as an expression of Batman's worst fears, and fears about the future, and his worldview. But if you are illuminated with comic book fanboy eyes, 
you you do see this scene differently, um, beginning with Batman on the hill overlooking the blasted apocalyptic plains, and you see a fiery symbol light up, and it's like an Omega symbol, and we know that as the symbol of the big bad of the DC universe, Darkseid, or Darkseed. I don't know. How How do you pronounce? You know, when I was a kid, I pronounced it Darkseed, because of course I wasn't talking about this with anyone. It was all in my head. Uh, I've, I, I've, heard it, I've heard it said as Darkseid a lot. Now. So let's go with Darkseid. Um, and literally... D- DC's Thanos. <laughs> right, DC's Thanos. I literally explained or Thanos. That, I literally explained that to my friend who was like, who's, who's, who's Eisenberg talking about at the end? Like, it's basically Thanos. Right. You know, Thanos. Yeah, you don't need to worry about it. So Batman is looking over his apocalyptic city, uh, the, the landscape, and he's, and, 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 and then this, this symbol lights up, and it's the symbol for Darkseid. And Darkseid literally lives on a planet called Apocalypse, right? So to DC and to, to those who have eyes to see this, now we begin to wonder, are we on Earth or are we on Apocalypse? You know, the, the planet from which Darkseid comes. And then, and then, uh, and then, uh, but I thought, I thought Apocalypse had all the, like, I thought it was like all metallic and it had all those, like, uh, like those, those reactor things were like chugging fire. Oh, well, actually, I guess that could have been happening right. in that scene. Yeah, right. Okay. Fair Re- enough. Regardless. Fair um, and, uh, and then, um, and then of course the, 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 the insect creatures that kind of descend and like pick up super Batman and fly him away or something like that, I believe are dark sides, uh, 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 uh parademons. Mm-hmm. So, I think that we are left to kind of wonder, are we on, from from this point of view, um, are we looking at a vision of a future in which Batman is going to possibly visit Apocalypse? Are we going to get a plot in which Darkseed comes to Earth and turns the Earth into Apocalypse? Um, we can read that vision on, on multiple levels. But then we get an interesting, weird coda Unless this comes before nope. this dream, this comes after. It happens after. We're after, in which now we are we get we, not, we, not we get, enough to have one premonition dream. You gotta have two, two. premonition dreams. We, we have the false wake up, right? So <laughs> we think that Bat, what Bruce Wayne is waking up from his nightmare um, in the Bat Cave, when lo and behold, he's visited by a an, an apparition, and. Um, uh, and if you don't really know who this is, I mean, I think most people who are listening to our podcast know who this is. This is the Flash, right? And this is the this, this is the Flash visiting him and giving him some kind of like warning, telling him, I believe he says two big ideas. One is is that is that you were right about him, I think, and the other big message that he he has is uh, Lois is the key. And um, Amy Adams must have been really happy to hear that. Right. Well, I'm not doing anything in this movie, but I guess I guess at some point I'll be important for this franchise. <laughs> and if four Oscar nominations. And right, yeah. Um, and uh, and and if you don't know anything about the comics, you know that this is a pull from Crisis on Infinite Earths, in which in the first couple issues of that, um, uh, that plot is set in motion with a time traveling Flash. Um, moving backward in time, giving special messages to various heroes, warning them of something that is that is going to happen, and kind of maybe offering clues as to how to solve the problem. It makes me wonder if 
um, before we get to Justice League, if maybe we say in the next in the Wonder Woman movie to come, if Wonder Woman might get a visit from the Flash, oh, is it going to be and, like and, 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 uh, and giving her a message? Is it going to be like like Bad Wolf in uh, the first uh, season of, of of the new Doctor Who, where just like every, every every adventure for some reason involved the words Bad Wolf, right, 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 <laughs> which had the most ludicrous payoff ever. So what we're, that could be so um my my. Uh, um, and then we and then we saw in the email that was and then in the next scene um, uh, we get email peeks in on the Flash who apparently is going to be a kind of different kind of Barry Allen than we're accustomed to from the comic. He seems to be kind of like a disaffected, alienated kid who uh, uh, drinks soda pop. And then he looks a lot to me like Impulse. Actually, oh, an Impulse. Treatment. Do you remember Impulse? Yes, who was yes. The, who was Kid Flash's Kid Flash in the nineties? Yeah. yeah. I we'll talk more about the nineties of all of this in a second. But yeah. So, but also to kind of finish the thought, we see the email spinoffs, which include new hipster Flash, uh, Aquaman, Aquaman, just doing Aquaman stuff. Nothing particularly new or different there. Um, we see Cyborg. Cyborg. Uh, who actually, I mean, I will say the presentation of him in that 30-second preview um, was sort of interesting, it, just as far as being one of the grossest things I've seen this side of RoboCop. I right. Mean, I mean, Cyborg is a character who his origin story is being horrifically mutilated and then saved by cyborgness. And I mean, he was like, there was not, there was a torso basically on screen. Right. There was a, there was a screaming torso being made into a cyborg. So what do you think that technology was that was making him into a cyborg? I've heard. uh, I'm guessing it's new God technology. Right. So (laughs) it's either going to be experimental nanotechnology or I've heard other people say it's a, it's, it's a mother box. Well, because there was actually some kind of box that kind of, that emerged at some point. Yeah. To float up into the air, and then we we're forgetting. Wasn't there one more metahuman in, in that email? Um, or no, I guess it was just uh, and just and, Wonder Woman and, and Wonder Woman. So there was that, and then also at the end. Yeah, walk me through this because I feel I was very I couldn't understand for the life of me what Jesse Eisenberg was ranting about well, at the end. And listen, you know Jesse Eisenberg made a choice with this movie. Um, I'm not sure any of that choice was ultimately the right choice, but he he definitely decided I'm going to play this character as just like the meth version of everything people people expect of me. Super fast talking, totally ludicrous and, and unmotivated, but, you know, we've already kind of gotten into that. At the end, he's in prison. He, he gets put into the same prison that, that Jason Statham gets put into at the end of Furious 7. Um, <laughs> and just like The Rock at the end of Furious 7, he's visited by someone who will become his nemesis, this, this being Batman. Batman tells him, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go, which seems kind of strange, given that he's, he's currently imprisoned. Um, but then Lex Luthor says, and I was simultaneously laughing and crying by this point of the movie, so I, I apologize if, if I'm paraphrasing. The bell has been rung. He, there is a specific reference to a he, not, not it. Like, he is out there. He is going to come, I believe, is something that is, that, that is implied. Um, and then he says, ding, 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 right. <laughs> over and over again, which I, I think um, our, our own, uh, our colleague, uh, Anthony Bresdikin, has, has, w- was asking us, it's possible that he's saying ping, 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 which is a reference to the mother box technology. Um so you know we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're left with we're left with a lot of new gods. So stuff here. right, and so we're we're kind of left with the impression, I guess, by 
by by Luther's antics there at the end that he is dark seed aware yes. that he is aware of dark seed and it might begin to explain why we have gotten this sort of like half cracked almost joker-esque Lex Luthor who is clearly mad yeah. and it may actually end up fueling his like obsession with viewing these uh, superhumans and metahumans as gods because he might have had some kind of encounter with Darkseid or is aware of Darkseid and is it is literally being driven mad by this or even and th- now I'm going to speak to things that I've heard about in, in terms of comic book Ooh. stories but I don't know which is that is it let's be clear nobody really knows much about the new gods right well <laughs> Like anybody who wants to front like they're like the world's biggest fan of the new gods, that's fine. But like that is a elaborate and somewhat tortured mythology right. of it. It's, so, it's hard to wrap your head around all of it. Right, right, right. But is it possible that like Lex Luthor is actually not in his right mind, but rather is maybe under the control of maybe Darkseed or one of Darkseed's minions? Is that a possible is are we dealing with like demon possessed? Lex Luthor you know, in this in this in this movie. I mean, maybe. I mean, if that's the case, then like, if that's the case, then that's even more ludicrous because then you're because then the argument is basically like, oh, like this character who you met is not actually the character. You know, we'll see him in the next movie. So I, I'm not I'm not sure about that. I know that like there, there are elements of dark side throughout comics history where he uh, he has human agents working for him but i think it's it's always kind of my understanding just based on i mean i i think i collected the mr miracle solo comic back in the 90s and mr miracle was one of the stepsons of dark side if right. i recall correctly who who had come from new genesis was that the the nice god planet right there was a mythology th- there was a there was a there was a sun swap yeah, I believe like uh, yes, like, yes. Uh, oh, and then and then Orion, the the war god, was the son of Darkseid, but then he was raised by the god of that's New right. Genesis, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. We're talking about all of this. I'm realizing I the only thing I want Zack Snyder to do now is to do a new gods movie because right. I think maybe oh yeah when when he would e- actually really do well by that. Right. That's actually a mythology he could really do well because by. because w- w- when you need to have even any root in human behavior, I, I just don't think that's his bag really, and I, I think it shines through in the fact that you know Gotham City and Metropolis are two of the most just you know. Gl- Talk about glorious opportunities for interesting statements about metropolitan behavior that artists throughout time have done interesting things with. Um, like on uh, Friday when we got back from the movie, my girlfriend and I were so disappointed in Batman v Superman that we actually watched the original Tim Burton Batman that <laughs> night. Now, not by any means a perfect movie, but its vision of Gotham City just sticks in your head. And there's nothing like that in Batman v Superman on, on either city. But I, I don't know, I, I wonder if given a, a place like Apocalypse or a place like New Genesis, just these these purposefully over-the-top visions of godliness and, and devilishness, that, that seems like that could be kind of more of Snyder's bag. Um, um, to finish out this thought, though, it suddenly hits me that there is actually part of Bruce's dream that we completely forgot about, which is that after actually being carted away by the parademons, we then get the shot that has been all over the trailer, which is that Batman gets strung up, Superman in some subterranean bunker, Superman descends, his paramilitary soldiers that serve him bow on bended knee, Superman approaches, takes off Bruce Wayne's, uh, Batman's mask, and then I, th- then I think punches 
Superman in the face or uh, a Batman in the face and then or blasts him with heat vision. He blasts a bunch of other guys with heat vision and then I believe he punches Batman in the stomach, implication being he's probably ripping his heart out. Uh, oh, oh then, yes, he's then, ripping his heart out. out. So but only, only, so this is the strange thing because that... In that moment, what Superman says is, she was everything, she was my whole life. That followed by the Flash dream, were this movie a well-written movie, would strongly imply, oh, oh, I guess like Lois Lane dying is going to be somehow, that's an important part of this movie, or Lois Lane's an important part of this movie. In fact, Lois's, Lois's only importance in the back half of the movie is getting rid of the kryptonite spear and then finding the kryptonite spear. Right. <laughs> she literally throws the spear into the water right before they're going to really need that spear to kill Doomsday. Um... No. So I, I, I think one one thought I'm, I'm beginning to wonder is, is that if this does represent some prophecy of the future and some more dark seed apocalypse foreshadowing, mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering if what is going to happen is, is that either a dark seed is going to take possession of Superman mm-hmm. and, 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 and uh, like in the future or B, um, uh, uh, or, Superman being brought back to life. Yeah, this d- will be Dark a, Seed a, man, a evil Superman. Right. Yes. Dark Seed brings Superman back to life and to use him as a weapon in the takeover of our planet and motivates him by either having Lois Lane killed and framing <sighs> Batman for it or making Superman believe that Lois Lane was killed and Batman is responsible for it. So this brings up a question that I wanted to ask you, Jeff, and and uh, I, I I think we still have the Excalibur theory to get to at some point, yeah. right? We're gonna I I, I want to save that for the end because I'm I'm very excited about that. Not least because, by the way, I love John Boardman's Excalibur. Uh-huh. And, and talk about a movie that's great to look at and doesn't doesn't work that well on an, on an individual character level. Like that movie is very much. I, I can see why Zack Snyder might really uh, gravitate to that movie, but. Um, so I'm in a weird place with regards to Batman v Superman. Let me let me talk you through this. Yep. If 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 you don't mind playing my Dr. Melfi for a second. Sure. Go um, for it, Tony. To, to my p- perhaps potentially sociopathic uh, Tony Soprano. One of the reasons why I got into collecting comic books regularly as a kid, like I, I'd read my Punisher was my Punisher. My brother was weirdly very into the Punisher, and like I've been reading those comic books from a time I was way too, probably way too young to, to to appreciate those. Read a lot of Uncle Scrooge. I can remember I first went to my local comic book store, rest in peace, the big guys, Comics and Cards. Because um, I was excited because there was big news about how they were going to kill off Superman. And I I remember I went there, I collected, uh, at that point in time, there were four Superman comics, but they were essentially just telling all one story. You know, you'd, 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 you'd pick up Superman, the Man of Steel, the first week of the month, and that story would lead into uh, Superman, and then the Adventures of Superman, and Superman and Action Comics. The first Superman story I ever read, all the way through, was The Death of Superman. Now... Strangely, a lot of the beats of that story are in Batman v Superman. Not not many of them. The the idea of one of the interesting things about the original comic book story is first of all, Doomsday is a total mystery when you first meet him. He's literally just a guy who's covered in this weird green kind of camo gear. And actually, the first two issues, 
Um, he decimates the Justice League. Now, but by that point, the Justice League was kind of all B-listers, you know? It was like, you know, like, like Fire and Ice and yeah. <laughs> uh, Booster Gold. And what Doomsday does to Blue Beetle has stayed with me forever because Blue Beetle is kind of like, he's kind of, you know, one of those classic Batman types, doesn't actually have any superpowers. So once you get through his sort of, you know, various robot stuff, it was just Doomsday just wailing on, on Blue Beetle. Totally awful. But, but at the time, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um... Up to that point, Doomsday still only has one arm freed. His other arm is in shackles. And so then, ultimately, by the end, you see him unshackled, and it's just a horrifying sequence. Um, this comic book story, I don't think anyone thinks it's a good story. You know? Like, like, like I, I think if you're enough of a fan to like Superman, my impression has always been, you actually kind of look down on this, because Doomsday is kind of a goofy character. I mean... We can go back and forth on Superman's rogues gallery. I know a lot of people think they're lame, but, you know, there are things to do with Brainiac. Brainiac has a lot of interesting aspects to him, and there are fun ways he can attack Superman. You know, even someone like the Toy Man, you know, he, he makes funny toys and attacks Superman that way. Doomsday's literally just a, a punch machine. Um, and, you know, I also thought it had a bad reputation because... It was kind of a boondoggle. I mean, this was right. th this happened right in the thick of. We've talked about this on on some, pa on, on some past podcasts, but this was that really interesting phase of comics collectorship, kind of driving up the prices of comics. And you know, I I, I can recall people being, you know, they were waiting around the block to pick up Superman seventy five, uh, which was I think written and illustrated by Dan Jurgens, and it is essentially recreated to a certain extent in Batman v Superman. That issue is just. It really just a beautiful issue. Each page is a splash page, and it's just all these incredible tableau of Superman and Doomsday wailing on each other. Left a huge mark on me. Um, but, you know, Superman didn't stay dead, um, and the way they brought him back was somewhat suspicious because they made four new Superman, and, you know, you, you had... There was this strange feeling of cheapness that I had always thought was attached to that story arc. Now It was a massive stunt. Right, it, it was a stunt. Now, now, now it, listen, it's, it's hard for me to separate all of this, you know, I know logically that was a stunt. Yeah. And I also know logically, it, it's not a great Superman story. Um, but, you know, I was a kid reading it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you enjoy a lot of things. That's right. It's, it left, left to me. I'm just so struck by the fact that this movie, A, I'm struck, like, who, who the heck thought that bringing in Doomsday was a good idea? Totally. And it, it, does, does it strike you as strange? Because this movie kills Superman. But A... It, it, it kills him in such a way that, you know, the very end of the movie is like, well, he's coming back to life. Like, that's fine. And even even if you know logically Superman can't stay dead, the fact that this movie needs to end on a moment of, oh, he's coming back, like, that feels kind of strange to me. But I don't know, is it weird to you as someone who's just a fan of comics history? Like, why, why is this the thing that they're bringing into this franchise, you know? Like, why, why this and not some other better comic book story? And I guess I just, I wonder, is it, is it just because, like, this franchise is so brooding that the only story it's interested in is the one that kills Superman? I, I don't know. It, it struck me just because I had always assumed that, like, adding in Doomsday to anything would be a way for fanboys to say, ugh, like, are you kidding me? And I, I don't get that impression from the response to this movie. So, I, I don't know. Do we like Doomsday now? I, I guess is sort of one, one question I have. So, yeah, you, 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 you kind of walk us up to, like, yeah, like, um, it is rather bizarre that a, 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 a big superhero movie like Superman or Batman versus Superman, or D, you know, a big DC Universe launch movie. Justice League prologue, yeah. right? Um, would 
actually seems to believe that there is some enduring cultural affection and regard for that doomsday story, that they should <laughs> completely embrace it. When certainly people of a certain age, my, m me in particular, view that as sort of the height of many gross trends in comics, um, or at least trends that you get sick of after seeing it played over and over again. For me, as a, what, 24, 25-year-old who had been collecting comics since he was seven or eight, I'd seen enough kind of contrived character death. I had seen enough contrived character death in service of reboots. Um, I'd seen enough variant cover bull crap, like, like, like gimmicks to get you to buy multiple copy, to copies of the same issue. Hologram covers, um, chrome covers. And this was also maybe like a peak expression of the grim and gritty movement that moved, came out of the late 80s and into 90s and infected everything. So that for me, the death of Superman event was just a number of trends number of creative gambits and a number of gimmicks um, all kind of like converging at one place at one time designed to sell comics. I never bought that storyline. I never participated in it because I just knew from the minute it was announced and watching it unfold that where this was going, Superman would die. We would get a year of Superman stories afterwards that would essentially be become instant collector's items because they would be immediately rendered meaningless by the rebirth of Superman. The minute they announced the death of Superman, my first question is, the only question I care about is, how are they bringing him back? <laughs> That's the only suspense. That's the only suspense. Kryptonian resurrection matrix. <laughs> right. That's the only suspense offered by that story the minute that it's announced is... The one thing I can't answer, which is how are they going to bring them back? So for me, that was like, there is nothing that mainstream comics has to offer me anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that was, for me, the, the moment in my comic book upbringing where I just just firmly moved further into like the Vertigo brand or into alternative comics and gave up on superheroes and only would toe back into superheroes when I felt like a really interesting creator was take, tackling something or something really new and different was being offered. What if they were killing Green Arrow, though? Huh? Or, what if they were killing off Green Arrow and no then bringing in, bring in a new young Green yeah. Arrow? Also happened. Um, also <laughs> happened. But, but with that said, to all due, due respect to younger comic book uh, fans, the, the, the fallacy, one of the fallacies of my own critique here is, is that comics perhaps are not meant to be read and stuck with for decades the way that older readers like me at that point in my life um, uh, were reading them. Comics are, like go through cycles um, and they tell the same stories over and over again for the sake of regenerating their fan base. So for you younger than me, and for younger people who are discovering comics for the first time and are experiencing big character death and big character revival for the first time and, 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 and taking nothing away from the talents that actually told that story, um, I can understand that this being a huge emotional capture the imagination thing for a, a, a young generation of comic book fans. So maybe like as much as for me, like 
that would like to think that I'm speaking for all of fandom when really I'm only speaking for myself and possibly members of my generation. Yeah, I can allow for the fact that Doomsday might be like a really legitimate, huge story that's canon and meaningful for a generation of comic book fans, beginning with you, but maybe even younger than you, too, you know? Yeah. Um, and that certainly for people who became superhero fans after Doomsday and the way that other Superman media has recycled that story in animation or in video games or whatever... That has become pretty canon to them. I guess, see, to me it's just sad because, and again, I grew up with this stuff, and one of the first Batman things I ever collected, I, I remember talking about this uh, on our Dark Knight podcast, one of the first Batman stories I ever collected was the Nightfall uh, stuff, which which recently got produced on the big screen to a certain extent in, in Dark Knight Rises. It's just weird to me because, like, I don't know. Nobody, not even people my age, and if you disagree with this, please let me know, nobody thinks Bane is, like, a great Batman villain, and nobody thinks Doomsday is a great Superman right. villain. And so I just wonder, like, who in this creative team keeps on pointing to, like, 1993 and 1994, <laughs> one of the worst moments, you know, talk about, like comic book history being right on a precipice of a fall from which in some ways it's never quite come back. Who keeps on looking to that moment and saying, like, that's the stuff we gotta do? And but the, it's, the, it's current, the creative creative team that's running this whole franchise from Zack Snyder, who was raised on The Dark Knight and who was raised on Watchmen, who, you know, is not necessarily a huge comic book fan. By his own admission, I think he came to comics maybe a little late after right. and then discovered it through the graphic novels. But he is of our... This is what happens when Gen X runs Hollywood, you know? <laughs> like, this is when when, when people cre came of age, cre like, on comics and pop culture of the mid-80s through the mid-90s, and these are their touchstones. This is what you get. <laughs> I, I actually believe in that pretty wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking as a as a millennial, I kind of blame the millennials for all this. I think let's, I think it's the millennials well. Let's just blame fault. the millennials for everything. I think that it's the millennials' be, yeah. fault, Jeff. Like, all right. time to get Gen X off the hook and blame everything of, on the on the uh, youngins. Uh, speaking of speaking of a generation, but can I, can X, I, can generation I, X was another spinoff from from X Men, as was Excalibur, which we have to get to at some point. But but sorry, you sorry, you were going to say something. No, I would just say you know it's interesting, kind of the way that we are cynical about Doomsday, the way that I'm cynical about Doomsday as sort of the height of of um, a, a comic book medium essentially selling itself out with a bad creative idea because and bad and bad business practices uh, for the sake of of of, 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 of of propping up and propagating its business. Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice fails in the same exact way. I mean, it's not a one it's not a great creative statement it feel it is a corporate product that's compromised by so many sort of like business needs and interests and franchise building and 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 and, and franchise sustaining that uh it, it, it doomsday's presence in there is completely fitting in a way because yeah. it's a comment on how ultimately hollow it is yeah it feels like history is repeating itself as, as tragedy and farce, perhaps. Um, anyhow, Excalibur. Excalibur. Well, you know, what's interesting is, is that I, I, uh, I, I, I found myself going down the rabbit hole uh, this morning of the correlations between uh, Batman versus Superman and 
um, the John Borman film Excalibur. And there are several, and they're notable um, given the themes of the film. And, um, and it got me thinking in particular about this movie's maybe tension, tense relationship with the, the, the defining Batman franchise of all time, like Christopher Nolan's Batman films. We all have different opinions on them, but they were by and large creatively successful, except for the flawed third film, um, and, uh, and, and very financially successful. And what's really... Two of them, by the way, are almost perfect films. <laughs> right. And what's really, I found really interesting about ultimately the grand message of Christopher Nolan's Batman films is that if you take them as a story and really simplify, it goes through lots of different thoughts and, and, and but where it leaves Batman is this idea that Bruce Wayne casts Batman away at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. He basically says like, it's bad for me to be Batman because I don't play the part well. Like, and I think it's ultimately corrupting me and denying me some kind of life. But Batman as an idea, Batman even as a weapon, as a symbol, as a weapon, it's valuable and it should be taken up when necessary. It should be picked up when necessary um, uh, by a worthy hero to address the moment of his time. And then when he's done with it, ultimately it should be cast away again for another hero to pick up. But to hold on to it, and to keep it ultimately becomes corrupting, right? Mm -hmm. I, for me, I thought that was the, that was a message or one of the points ultimately of the entire franchise, and um, and ultimately of the of, of of the Dark Knight Rises. As it happens, this is the meaning of Excalibur. Because um, now, um, not the movie. I'm actually talking about the sword now. To begin with, Excalibur, as we all know, or maybe don't know, was King Arthur's magical sword. It was given to him when he drew it out of a block, right? Um, and then in, in, as presented in the movie, it was destroyed, but then it's like kept by the Lady of the Lake yes. and, and all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But what's interesting about Excalibur the sword is that in many different versions of the story, it's engraved with two messages, like one on one side and one on the other. Right, which one is, side is whoever shall be worthy shall possess the power of Thor, and right. the other one is, no, 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 sorry, what are the, the engravings? It's take me up, cast me away. The message of Excalibur is take me up when you need me, but when you're done with me, you throw it away, you know? And um, 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 the, the kind of like is this idea that certain circumstances require a great kind of heroism uh, and, and, and this tool can help you, but ultimately don't hang on to it. Don't use it for your own pride or your own vanity, for your own sense of power or empowerment because ultimately it will corrupt you. Um, so pick it up when necessary, throw it away. Um, let's now go into Excalibur the movie, which is quoted by um, uh, 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 Batman versus Superman. And now, John Borman's film, let's just cut right to the end, right? Because this movie is a wonderful, beautiful mess mm -hmm. um, in which uh, a great hero in the form of King Arthur lays claim to um, Excalibur, 
but then uses Excalibur in some uh, um, uh, good ways and some bad ways. And ultimately he becomes a deeply flawed uh, a king and hero, um, but finds some redemption for himself at the end. And at the end of Excalibur, if you know the end of, of this movie, you know what I'm gonna lead you up to. Um, and if not, spoiler alert, which is that um, King Arthur goes into battle with, um, in, in this version of the movie, his, his unwitting half-son Mordred, um, who is actually the creation of King Arthur's arch enemy, Morgana Le Fay, his, his, his half-sister, I believe. Mordred is King Arthur's doomsday. He was created from the very beginning to be Superman's destruction, uh, King Arthur's destruction. So King Arthur goes into the battle with Excalibur, bent on destroying Mordred. Um, he goes and attacks, and unfortunately, he gets impaled on, on, on Mordred's uh, uh, lance. But in this great, awesome, ridiculous moment uh, at the end of, of, of Excalibur, um, King Arthur pushes himself up through the lance to get close to Mordred, and he he basically kills Mordred with Excalibur, and Mordred is 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 dead. Vanquished. Right? Is vanquished. Now, what happens after this is two things that are very important. One is is that Arthur gives instruction to Percival to throw away, to cast away Excalibur. Excalibur must be cast away um, into, the, into the lake, into a shallow pond, into a peaceful pool, so that future heroes can claim it. Percival doesn't want to do this. Percival wants to keep Excalibur um, for, 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 to keep Camelot great. Um, he does not want to cast it away, but Arthur says, no, you, you got to do this. Trust me, it's for the best thing for, for, for our people. The natural order of things is for to cast Excalibur away. So Percival does this, and then when he comes back, he sees that King Arthur is now going into heaven and is... And, or whatever, you know, he's, he's going dead. To, he's, he's going to the Grey Havens, specifically, I think. Yes. <laughs> so King Arthur is dead. The natural order of things, then, therefore, is... One is heroes accomplish their function, they throw away their sword, and then they die, right? Like, that should be the natural order of things. Um, so I kind of find this really interesting in light of what we get in Batman versus Superman, because we get the Excalibur ending, right? which is, in this version of the movie, Arthur is Superman, um, and his Excalibur is something quite ironic, but actually kind of fits um, uh, the, the allegory here, which is, it's, it's this kryptonite lance, right? And it's this sword that is supposed to be used for ultimately one purpose, to slay a demon, but, you know, Superman, Arthur, can't hold on it for too much longer because it's going to kill him, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that kryptonite-tipped lance or sword at the end is his Excalibur, and Superman and Excalibur become one. And, and uh, anyway, so Superman charges his Mordred, Doomsday, and uh, gets impaled on, uh, on, on Doomsday's spike, just as King Arthur gets lanced in, at the end of Excalibur. But ultimately, with one last heave-ho, Superman manages to um, kill uh, Doomsday with, 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 with his Excalibur. Boom. It's all over. 
in my analogy that I'm going to go for here, Excalibur, uh, like Superman equals Arthur, but also equals Excalibur, right? Superman himself. Superman is himself is, 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 is both Arthur, but is also Excalibur. So we have this ending that is clearly inspired by John Borman's Excalibur, right? So the beats then that should follow are one, Excalibur should be thrown away, cast away for another hero to be found. And two is, is that the hero should remain dead. That is the natural order of things. Cast away, pick and, and, and cast away, hero dies. So I find the ending, the very, very ending of the film really interesting because it really kind of depends on how you view Batman at the end of the film. Here is this hero, this dark knight, that is supposed to, is spending this whole movie galvanized by one quest, which is to throw away, to cast away Excalibur, right? He's trying to kill Superman. Um, he believes that, the, that, that power corrupts absolutely and Superman is a bad idea. But at the end of the movie, this Saul that was persecuting Jesus all movie has a Pauline conversion and becomes the Paul, right? He becomes kind of like, uh, he, come, he, he completely becomes converted to the cause of Superman, believes in Superman, and kind of, I think you get the sense of regret some of his actions and his persecution of Superman. And spiritually speaking, he seems to be expressing an idea of like, no, the world needs Superman, you know, and, and, and Superman is dead now, but we are going to fill in that hole by becoming the Justice League. You, me, we're going to round up the metahumans and we are going to like fill this, this hole that I basically helped create by killing <laughs> Superman, right? Or helping it set in this, motion. This horrible thing that I basically caused. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Right. <laughs> so if 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 the if in this way, I kind of feel like the movie is 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 actually repudiating the messages of of of, of Excalibur. It's interesting, ironic tension, which is. Um, well, but in, in 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 fairness, my one point of order here is I'm not sure how present this is in the Borman movie, but th there was always the idea that like King Arthur may return at some point. I w w when I was reading the King Arthur legend as, as a kid, that that was one notion that I I think was left with you at the end was this idea that you know Arthur ha has gone to I I believe that at wherever whichever lake the lady is hanging out in like he kind of goes to some remote location on the other side of the lake so there, there's always the idea that he may return so I I I, I, I see that only kind of kind of bolstering your, your thesis so you know the idea that if whether Superman is Excalibur or King Arthur he may return at, at some point in the sure. future when, when right. he's called upon whenever whenever England needs him the most I, I believe was uh, always something that I had heard well yeah, exactly. Uh, and but maybe in the form of an uh, yeah. So um, so I just found that interesting. That like it made me wonder if uh, if 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 what the movie might be winking at or 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 or, or seem to be uh, building up to is this idea that heroism and superheroism should not be like the law of the land should not be a perpetual state. It's it's something that is required when, when, when heroes are needed and then it should be cast away and and, 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 and put away. I, 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 I find it kind of ironic that, um, that, uh, that I feel like 
I'm completely losing my thread no, of no, thought no, no. here. No, no, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying. You find it kind of ironic that that is sort of the, the note that it leaves off on, is the idea that quite the opposite, we'll need superheroes forever now. Well, Not and only that, we need we need a governing body of superheroes that's right. to kind of like help us through whatever. I mean, literally the end of this movie is basically like, there might be another thread at some point. Better get a bunch of superheroes together. You right. Know? Like, and then we and we will we will form a Justice League and we will rule above them all. My my, I'm wondering. Why are the superheroes? They're finally going to do it, right? So I guess really what I'm getting at is that is it possible on a subtextual level, Zack Snyder has made a movie that is actually critiquing or uh, critiquing. The, everything that his that that this franchise kind of represents that like if uh, if we shouldn't live in a culture that is super saturated with superheroes they make us beholden to wrong values and they're kind of have a warping effect on society it makes me wonder if actually that Batman's mad quest now and quest now to round up the metahumans and maybe maybe. In the next couple movies, seek the resurrection of Superman is going to facilitate the apocalypse that he actually saw in his vision. So that kind of like brings kind of like brings a whole new interpretation and a whole new spin to his dream that he has in the movie, which is that this apocalypse that he attributes to Superman, he's actually responsible for because. He fails in two ways. One that we see here at the in this movie, and I suspect that he will he will fail in future movies, is that one is assembling the Justice League is a mistake, and probably seeking the resurrection of Superman is a mistake. Um, if you're asking me if I think that's possible, yes. the answer is no. <laughs> and here's why. I, I uh, well, first of all, did that all make sense? That all made perfect sense. Right, uh, Jeff. I. I if what you're saying is that Zack Snyder is the biggest critic of Zack Snyder, then I love that idea. Here's my problem with that. Now, Jeff, uh, last week or two weeks ago, some news broke that uh, Zack Snyder, he's got some passion projects. Now, I never judge a book by its cover, and I never judge a movie by, by the pitch. Um, if I had done that, then I would have never seen Now You See Me, which is one of my favorite movies now. That's not true, but I do like it a lot. Now, one of his passion projects is to do the 300 version of every historical moment. Let's set aside that, because that just sounds ludicrous. Um, he also mentioned his passion project is making a film out of Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead, which I'm holding in my hand right now. Oh my gosh. Now, I tried reading this thing. The first, the first 40 pages is a lot. Uh, some interesting writing. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I, I will say that I can understand why it appeals to a lot of people. Um, because much like the work of Aaron Sorkin, uh, it, it is very intelligent and just overflowing with ideas. And one of those ideas seems to me to be the idea of how come the world won't just let like the smart white guys solve everything? <laughs> now, a big part of the Fountainhead is this idea of like they're architects, and there's a, there's a character named Howard Rourke who's like this wild-thinking architect and, like, you know, nobody will believe in him and why won't they believe in him and let him build stuff? And, you know, I, I, I kind of, like, skipped around a bit. Seems like a lovely book with a lot of ideas that I disagree with, but, you know, <laughs> th that's fine. I disagree with Conan the Barbarian and I love that movie. But one... It provided a little lodestone for me with what I think I really react negatively to with some of Zack Snyder's recent work. 
And it's that whether he disagrees with the notion of superheroes or agrees with it, you never get a sense of the human beings around them. In the same way that the buildings in the Fountainhead are just being built to be beautiful, and there, there's no sense of utility, and there, there, at least to me, there's, there's no real sense of like, you know, these are places that are going to be used by people. You know, it's more just kind of like, this needs to be beautiful, and like, I'm an architect and I will build things. And there's a part in this book where I think a whole building gets built in about three weeks, which kind of confused me. But I, I get the same vibe from Zack Snyder's take on this material, which is, you know, whether you have a negative view of superheroes or a positive view of superheroes, if you're bringing up these ideas and, you know, if you're bringing up this idea of, like, with King Arthur, there's always the idea of England and, you know, right. England itself seems to have a pox upon it and, you know, Arthur and his knights need to rescue it and, the and, you know, setting off on the Grail quest, I mean, boy, talk about a quest where you're never really sure was this a good thing or a bad thing and a lot of them die along the way and even when they finally find the Grail, that only sets up Arthur for his eventual fall. You know, in all of that, there is this, this idea of England is an important thing. And just, there's something so dehumanizing in this movie about, like, you know, nobody else really matters besides these people. And, and you know, nobody yes. nobody really matters besides Batman and Superman and Lex Luthor. And, you know, maybe people who are just adjacent to them. So, you know, that's who you're going to save. But I, I don't know. After I saw the film Gods of Egypt, I, I was trying to work on this essay that would kind of weave together all of the kind of recent actual mythology movies that we've gotten, like Gods of Egypt and Immortals and the Clash of the Titans movies. Didn't finish the essay because all those films are just awful. But they're interesting because the core of all of those movies is this idea of the gods are dying and we need to save them. And whoever is killing the gods is the bad guy. And, like, you know, Mickey Rourke in Immortals is, is actually strangely... I, I, I thought of this because he is very much the character you were describing Lex Luthor being earlier. Like, he's this character who very explicitly feels like the gods have let him down and he has this horrible traumatic past that he wants to punish them for. And, you know... There's something about the movies that winds up ultimately being like, no, 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 like the gods are great, and the gods are usually like all white people who are very young and attractive, and you know, the bad guys are usually like less attractive and older. And there's something about that that resonates in this movie, where at a certain point I'm just kind of like, you know, maybe this movie is for you if you fundamentally are only interested in like these godlike beings, and you don't really care too much about, you know, this is why there's all this stuff now about. People are frustrated that Batman killed so many people. And, you know, it's easy to be very funny about that and say, like, listen, like, Batman's been, like, punching people in the spine for a hundred years now. But I do think that there's something about these movies that, no matter what statement they're trying to make, they're just not interested in human beings. And, and, and maybe that's why I, I think if they did a New Gods thing, that would be perfect for... Because, for, you know, that would be the 300 version of superheroes, right? That would just sort of be like everyone is Orion or Dark Side or these these bigger than life people. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's what is resonating with this movie with some people and why other people are so put off by it. Is you know, I don't know. I can't think of any other superhero movie that just seemed so totally disinterested in, like, just other human beings around them. Right. Which is only strange because the very first scene, you think you're kind of like, oh my god, like, we're, this, this, we're seeing it from the human perspective. And, and then that's kind of lost. And I, I don't know. That feels, it feels like there's something missing in that interpretation, such that, you know, 
no matter how much I want to kind of get on board with your interpretation of what these movies might be about, there's just a lack of curiosity about the world around these people that, that I find a little a little enervating, I, I guess. I like a lot of what you're saying. And I think for all of the reasons that you just said, I find myself pulling for my theory that creating the Justice League, Batman creating the Justice League, uh, by, by being the Percival that doesn't throw away the Excalibur, but instead like keeps its spirit alive and more goes on some grail quest to revive and resurrect the, 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 the dead Superman. Um, some kind of night quest, perhaps? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, why I kind of hope that ends up being just a horrible, horrible idea that has grand human consequences because it feels like my interpretation of that, my want for that is sort of a way to explore kind of like just the the the, the dark side the the dark side uh the dark seed of of superheroism uh that it comes at this grand human cost like yep. yeah um i like in 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 a way i i find myself kind of pulling for this real maybe in a way that I think actually... You want the darker version of this now. I do, I want the darker... You're pulling for the darkest possible version of because, the Justice League. Strangely <laughs> enough, like, like without sort of affirming nihilistic superheroes, but instead of criticizing, like, all of this, like, um, uh, 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 critiquing all of this, because, like, uh, that ends up kind of bending back toward at least some kind of, like, affirmation of humanity that this is a bad idea. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like... But what you're saying is, no, um, most likely, and you're absolutely right about this, you're absolutely right, that the, the grand project of this franchise is to build the Fountainhead. Is to build the grand mythic monuments uh, uh, that, that, that tower above us that have zero interest in humanity, but give us our gods, give us our myths that save our gods, that save our myths, um, at the expense of our humanity because we just hopeless we just hopelessly need them. Yeah, and I, I guess that's why, you know, deep down, listen, all we want are good movies, right? All we right. want are good things or interesting things. And, you know, it's clear to me that after this movie, this DC universe, at least, is very much going down this road that you're describing. To, to the point that the next movie is literally about a goddess or, or, or a demigoddess or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever your interpretation of kind of Themyscira and Wonder Woman is. That is the Greek myth sort of brought to life. <coughs> and that's all interesting, but, you know, it makes me kind of sad just because, you know... If all you can do, if the only interesting thing you can do with Superman is kill him, um, then it feels to me like you're you're missing some of the real humanity of the character. And you know, again, listen, I don't want to sound like I'm some angry fanboy here, but if all you can do with Jimmy Olsen is shoot him in the head and and not even have the guts to call him Jimmy Olsen, like only after the fact, only in the credits do you clearly label him as Jimmy Olsen, um, you know. And if all you can do with with again with Ma Kent, who just throughout history has been this this lovable figure who just is very much an Aunt May, a proto Aunt May, who's just there to kind of talk to Superman as a human being and as a maternal influence. If all you can do with her is like you know wrap her up and make her a prisoner, then I don't know. That feels more cynical than anything to me. Um, yeah. But you know, 
this movie's doing pretty well, so we'll probably be talking about uh, Justice League Part One in uh, in in a couple of years. And I'm very excited for the Flash. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, I, I I'm hoping for the best. You know, I I I I find myself confronted watching a lot of superhero pop, not just this stuff, but Daredevil. Um, I, I I find myself, you know. I find myself just really torn because I feel like, first and foremost, I feel like I'm completely outgrowing this stuff. Um, and for us, it, it's it's just the girlfriend experience from now on. <laughs> just 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 brutal, mature looks at the lack of intimacy and human intimacy. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I I maybe I'm as tortured about this genre as I as maybe Zack Snyder is. You know, um, love it, hate it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, like I'm, I remain interested in it, but I feel like it's increasingly from a nostalgic point of view. That's interesting. And uh, and I'm torn between wanting uh, less grimness and ponderousness, and just find for for these movies to find some way to have more fun, to express more joy, to be more human. Um, and then, yet, and yet, and yet. There's and, a part of you that actually thinks, because I, I was thinking about this, if they could just do the Sam Peckinpah version of superheroes, like really just like, you know, no more of this half and half stuff where you're kind of doing a dark Batman versus Superman, but you still have like, is she with you? I thought she was with you. Like, no, no, no. Like, just, just if you're going to go nihilistic, go nihilistic. Like, that's my other kind of thing. Well, you know I would hate movies. that too, because I hate the Punisher. You know what I mean? <laughs> then you get the Punisher and then I just hate it. But yeah, but, but I, 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 I feel this um, tension that I don't know how to reconcile, which is, I want if if we're going to get superheroes, I want something lighter. But but at the same time, this is why like to go back full circle in this conversation, I don't mind the ponderousness because I need something to think about. Mm-hmm. Like I need I need some ideas. And while this, the ideas that Snyder like gives us might not be the the, the best and, and and most well developed, like I I. Um, and I wish that we've we had different ideas and new ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea of like meditating on the God aspect or God allegory of it all is definitely not new at all. Um, Grant Morrison did it better, <laughs> right? Um, uh, at the same time, I, I I don't if 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 ponderousness and grimness gets us ideas to think about and debate, like I'm grateful for it. You know, the irony being that like this. This very flawed movie has given rise to some amazing criticism that is both beautifully written but wrestling with some really interesting ideas. And um, they have to thank, and for that, we have to thank a very ponderous movie. You know what I mean? Um, if we got something lighter, we wouldn't get that quality of criticism. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, 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 I'm so mixed by it. Like, um, uh, but I, I, I definitely, I, 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 no, I want I'm, this. I don't want this. I'm torn. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, deep down, I, I'm, I'm moved to recall one of the best works of criticism that came out of Batman v Superman. Uh, it was by my girlfriend. Uh, it was said aloud as the credits were rolling. She turned to me and said, "That was absolute garbage." <laughs> and you know. I, 
that's kind of what I keep going back to with this movie, and in sort of a in sort of a fun way, because some of the trashier parts I liked a lot, and some of the trashier parts were just dumb, and some of the ponderous stuff was really dumb, and you know. We're still at the start of a year that's going to have the most superhero movies ever. And, you know, a lot of the movies are going to deal with these same topics. Like, we'll be talking about a lot of this stuff when Civil War comes out in a little bit. And I just kind of wonder if, you know, superhero movies are the lingua franca now. And they are they are, they are are the Western, basically, to get back to something you were saying earlier. They are kind of like the American mythology now. And maybe their purpose is just to sort of get us talking about all of these issues in an interesting way. We can be kind of ponderous too, Jeff. Really? <laughs> no. Uh, any, any any final thoughts on uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice? Martha. <laughs> can, can I just say my other favorite part of the movie was anytime you know Ben Affleck is fine, but him as Batman, anytime he would just sort of grunt, it was just like, ugh. Like, it was just so, it, it was so the guttural Frank Miller-ism that, you know, we thought we got at the Dark Knight movies, and we finally got it here. Uh, Jeff, that was a great conversation. We didn't yell at each other once, disappointingly, <laughs> disappointing some of our longtime fans. Uh, I don't know what we'll be talking about next time. We'll probably have a ha- have a nice, lighthearted conversation about uh, what was the what was the thing that the, that the dream reminded you of? Goya's. Uh, oh, Goya's. The sleep of reason produces monsters. We'll do a deep dive into the sleep of reason produces monsters at the Fountainhead next week on Entertainment Geekly, uh, or or something else. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Bye.